Hello, everyone. This is Trace Crow with another episode of Doomer Optimism Podcast. Today, we have a special treat. We've got a first-time co-host, Glenn Ganaway, and we've also got Carol Sanford, who's going to be our special guest today. So without further ado, uh, Glenn, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? <laughs> uh, thank you. It's an honor to be here uh, among the uh, uh, this cadre. What a, uh, what a group. Uh, I don't know. I'm uh, 58. I have a, a homestead I'm rebuilding in Vermont. I work as a account clerk for a union. Uh, I am ordained in two different systems, uh, and I'm really big in integral theory. So that's a, a good, a lot, a little bit of background about me. And I got a BS in healthcare management. And I want, I'm interested in all things that we've been talking about here. So jazz since I found this community. Uh, and mm -hmm. uh, when, once I did, and I began listening to what you guys were saying, the first person that I, I thought of that the only, you know, a, a very short list that I wanted y'all to meet was somebody that I admire a great deal. And that is uh, Carol Sanford. I'm going to say one thing about Carol Sanford, mm -hmm. Carol said, Carol, because she can talk for herself. Carol is often called a positive contrarian, bringing old practices into modern practice. But most importantly, Carol offers businesses and their stakeholders a pathway to extraordinary results. So with that, uh, I'll say <laughs> uh, welcome to Doomer Optimism, uh, Carol Sanford. Thank you, Glenn. That was fun. Uh, it's always interesting to hear what people pick up on in your life and what touches them. So I was listening for where where do we overlap? Uh, and I love that you're an account clerk in a union. That, to me, is so meaningful in terms of what happens with people in day-to-day -day life, whether they're in a union or not. They're in a workplace that is uh, right now keeping most people pretty unhappy. 70% of people say they aren't uh, at all excited about going to work and would stay home if they could still figure out how to pay the bills. So when I heard you say that, I thought, that's a world I love. I work a lot with, uh, have over the years with unions and everything from paper plants to chemical plants to grocery stores. And so... Thank you for that little piece of information. Uh, tell us, uh, I'll take the first question. Uh, tell us um, how you found us and what is, uh, how, you, how you think about the term that we're using, Doomer Optimism. What do you think of, how does that land with you uh, 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 as a term? It's very I'm, new. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually didn't find you. You found me. And... <laughs> I couldn't figure out why, who you were. I went and listened a little bit, and I thought, okay, I like that these people have an authentic way of conversation. They're not trying to position themselves in some way for a certain kind of number of impressions and likes. So I thought, but why in the world would we, they want to talk to me? And so the term itself was very curious. Because, as you said, my grandfather is who coined the name Positive Contrarian. And because from a very, very young age, I disagreed with almost everything all the adults around me, not uh, the way they believed and worked, not the usual way where I was a kid just fighting back because uh, I wanted my freedom. I couldn't literally make sense of it. it uh, I had a father who was incredibly racist, uh, a mother who was mentally ill, and so she she interpreted things in ways that a paranoid schizophrenic does. And so for me, there is uh, a need to be optimistic. And for me, the positive contrarian is similar to the Doomer optimism because there's uh, we're all going to die, and I may be sooner than others. One never knows. Uh, but if we can look at, in some ways, the gift we're given of a body for an unknown period of time and come be as present as we can. We don't live with the uh, doom and gloom side, but the doom and possibility. And that's what I heard from what I saw with your name. Is that fit or did I make all that up? 
You're muted. All right. Yeah, that's actually, no, that's a perfect, um, that's a perfect summation of it, you know, is the idea for us is, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, a lot of people come to Doomer Optimism or gravitate towards this, this statement um, coming from an idea of like, you know, we're facing a myriad of, of kind of both existential and almost cultural crises at the same time. And um, when you recognize that there, of course, is a lot of doom that comes with that. There's a lot of sense of angst and frustration and fear and grief, frankly, sadness, right. Is, uh, you know, um, what we thought we were, we thought our lives were going to be is, is not going to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And from that, though, is what many of us come from. We have an optimistic view of that saying that, like, well, systems can't change until the existing system loosens its grip a bit. Right. And that can seem apocalyptic at the time that it's happening. But that loosening of the grip is what enables new things to flower and come out of it. Right. Just as things must die and decay in order for new life to be born. Um, And we're, we're all keenly feeling that we're living through a period like that that could be centuries decades it could be just a few years right but we're definitely yeah. going through one of those transitional periods and we have all chosen to, to act on that rather than you know kind of give into the fear give into the sense of doom or nihilism instead let's 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 give birth to whatever's coming next right um can i try and shape that uh, there's one thing you said I kept going to add. I kept thinking you were going to go one more step. You didn't go. Let me go there. Yeah. Uh, when you saw, talk about the world, the systems around us are insane. Absolutely. And I write about it in my books. And it does have to release its grip. But we have to release our grip. We can't even see how attached we are, how much we fabricate stories to explain why we stay in the current system, uh, how our own identity gets all wrapped up in them. And so, you know, as Pogo said in the comic strip, we've met the enemy and he is actually us. Mm-hmm. So we got a lot of work to do on us, too. Is that self-help? Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, that that fits in perfectly. I mean, many, you know, many of the the responses are initially to fix yourself, right? To initially look at yourself. Uh, you know, Glenn, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your your homestead project. Um, but homestead, yeah. homesteaders are a whole are a whole suite of, of people that are involved in the Doomer Optimism Project. It's not a homesteading club, but there is a lot of homesteaders. And that's kind of been the okay. initial spark grow your own food, make your own value add products, sure. get to know your neighbors and become rooted in place. Right. Yeah. Those are some of the central things that have come up as at least like kind of lightning rods, like kind of, you know, forming kind of hypotheses about how we might find a pathway forward. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the, th- uh, one of the, home- one of the things I love about my homestead is that's actually on the main street in the town I live in. I have, huh. we have, four acres but we have half of it is on the literal main street everybody goes by and we have a a classic house that we had to take down and everybody knew and was asking for it to take down but it's been an icon in this town for 200 years in fact the surrounding 300 acres were used to be managed from my homestead mm. and so it's swindled and dwindled and dwindled so everybody knows my business wow you know <laughs> everybody knows my business, drives by my house, knows exactly what's going on until things get grown up and we're able to do something about it. And so Trace and, and, and us, we're, this brings me to the what I, I think you're really good at, and that is building the solutions that Trace was saying, that Trace was saying, how do we build this community? What do we need? And you saying, how do we learn to see with eyes that are, are accurate about what we're looking at? And, how to you know build upon something something isn't decaying something is coming forth mm-hmm. you know to be able to learn to see differently so i i call this and what i love about this and the way i've seen uh, your work being used is a lot of leadership training you know in a lot of and it's and it's self-leadership is to decide that you're going to take on this task and be one of these uh principles in regenerative life be one of these leaders uh so, so i and can I take apart what you said? Because I need to disagree with quite a few things. Okay. Augment a few others and maybe throw something else on top. Um, so 
I don't build solutions. I build capability, which is the number one thing, because I use the term regeneration and have for 40, well, 50-something years. My grandfather was part Mohawk, as you probably read part of my story in that book, The Regenerative Life. And what he taught me is core to the the coming next era, next evolution, uh, whether that's from a homestead or the center of a city, which we have no control over. It's going to be based on people switching uh, from one paradigm to another. Now, that term is thrown around a lot. People say, well, we're working from a new paradigm. Rarely, rarely are they. Uh, let me describe what uh, the that means because I think it is the new light, and none of it has solutions in it. I have no best practices. I ask you not to trust me, not to do anything I tell you, because the work with really is, and you did use one term, which is self-developing uh, or a version of that. I believe they were in a lot of trouble because we've switched epistemologies, and th- that's a term basically means how we learn, how we know, and we've given up that we know or could figure it out, or as Bob Dylan said, we don't trust ourselves. You know, his wonderful song about, don't ask me, everything I know is falling apart. Trust yourself. But that has to be a developed self, a self that uh, learns how to manage your own thinking and your own behavior and your own assumptions and all those things that go on. So I don't do any training. I that word has no meaning to me except for my dogs and cats. I try and do a little training with them. But with humans, I believe we have a capacity, not yet a capability, to be able to uh, learn from ourselves, from our experience in community, like a community you're seeking to build. And when you do that, you're likely to find place-sourced ideas. Now, I say that slowly and carefully because most people talk about place-based. And I think place-based is us like a human animal landing on top of something we don't understand, making our own, manipulating it, rather than coming to speak the language of the place we are. And I do a lot of work with my colleagues at Regenesis who do story of place. And then inside of that story, we have a message that is eternal. You know, the place each of you live in, I don't think you're in the same same location. Um, You each have a story of the place where you are. And so, Glenn, when you build your homestead, your business, and your life force energies, it has to be nested in the place that you're in. And I, I think that's how we actually create the next evolution, not with generic ideas. I write a book and I speak and I prove to you an expert and I have research and say that everybody should do this. Uh, that's the problem we've got right now. We've been making everything generic. So, yes, everything you were saying, uh, but uh, I, I have a different tilt on it. I appreciate the focus on uh, uh, capacity. Yeah. Right? Because capac, because diversity, because we often uh, we I've I've had to teach myself to look, learn to look and appreciate diversity. Like yeah, weeds and plants and trees. It all's got to be happening in the forest in order for you to call it a forest and for the forest to work and do its work of regenerative. So diversity, even diversity, I don't understand. It's like why is that there? Because yeah. I understand it is like isn't a reason to remove it. It's a reason to ask more questions and become more curious. You know. So with with that idea, I I use. And I, I try to think about uh, you're kind of uh, well known in my in my circles, my little integral circles for these seven principles. Okay. You know, <laughs> you know. so uh, would, could you talk to uh, us about the seven principles uh, at all? Of uh, course, the, and they're called the seven first principles. Seven first principles. Right. And the the reason for that is. Um, and I've used that term for a long time before Elon Musk introduced it in kind of a sloppy way into the world, like it was some problem-solving model. Anyway. I um, get you to say that. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it works. You, I know, you I, freaked I, me. Yeah. Uh, 
So first principles really is, as a, it goes back to what is the most foundational thing we think we know. And it's important think we know because otherwise we get attached to our certainty. There is a, a way to look at these seven first principles, which we contrast with our current Doomer versions, right? The versions that are taking us into a ditch. And I do that in the book. And we'll see if I can do them all in a short enough period of time here. Um, There's not going to be a test, Carol. There's oh, good. No, I wasn't worried about remembering the timing of getting them out is pretty long, usually. Well, we all right. Too. All right. There's a great story or great quote by Albert, Albert Einstein that says, uh, don't cry and create the new world, which you're talking about, Trace, using the old mind. And I paraphrased it so it fits uh, a way I think is more what he meant. And how do I know what he meant? I know what he meant because I know a man who was in the room with him at Princeton when he explained it. And I've written quite a bit about it. Einstein didn't answer the question in many public forums he did with his physics students. And the person who told us, told us in a classroom at UC Berkeley, where I was an undergraduate and a graduate for a little while. Uh, and he said, what Einstein always told us is the, and by the way, I was also studying with Thomas Kuhn at the same time at Berkeley, who wrote the structure of the scientific revolution. Do you know that yes, book? Yes, I do. All right. And Kuhn was an amazing man. He had just published that book during the two years he was a visiting scholar there. And we used to go sit in this place on Telegraph Avenue in Berkeley where we, uh, you know, you drank a beer and you talked like we're talking here. You kind of talk philosophy. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the things that um, I learned from Kuhn was that people had paradigms. So I, w I also heard Albert Einstein describe that there were two ways Einstein said if you wanted the old Newtonian view or the quantum view, you got to understand that there are whole different pictures you have in your mind. One is if you want the Newtonian view, the physical world, the rocks and water and trees uh, and things that are manifest that our senses can pick up. If you work only from the world Newton gave us, you're working from what he called a billiard ball. I think he meant pool table view because, you know, pool tables have pockets in them. And that was what he was describing. He said, if you are a Newtonian, the old paradigm, you will see a pocket you think is the one people should get in. In fact, you'll design the pockets, maybe even build a table that the, you tell everybody, you have to go to this pocket, this one, this one. And you know who the players are on the table you want to move into that and they're the cue balls and then you got a cue stick and you are the god of the cue stick and you can hit the ball into the uh, pocket and that's your work in the world you're supposed to define the solutions define where people need to move and do the work define the holy grail the best practices of where people go in there and he said that's actually a lie that's not the way the world works and we know with heisenberg and other things in quantum that whatever you think you direct, it doesn't go there. Nope. It, it, a bunch of other stuff moves and you keep saying, I'll get, I'll get them next time. You get another story. He said, what we have to switch to, and this is necessary for the seven first principles. Uh, we have to get to the view of a matrix in which a baby is born. The baby we cannot control. We can't say, go be this, be that, this color of eyes, this level of intelligence, uh, this place in the world. We create a matrix, and we, it's mostly women who are growing that matrix, but they're in a matrix also, in a culture with partners and spouses. Uh, and so their job becomes to keep the matrix for the baby healthy so its capacity can select its own definition, its own direction, and then we follow that. That's what Einstein meant. Isn't that beautiful? Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a good way to raise children. <laughs> yeah, it's a very good way because we try and said, uh, good boy, good girl, rewards, incentive, 
My seventh book is about the nonsense of behaviorism, which is a pool table psychology. All right. So I developed a Newtonian view of first principles and a quantum view. The quantum view, and I'm going to say it in a little story, and then we'll come back and look at each one just a little bit. Okay. Um, my uh, grandfather uh, uses a phrase that reminds me of David Bohm, who wrote Wholeness in the Implicate Order. I can tell you're a philosopher, man after my own heart. Um, he said, we, the problem we have right now is we see things as fragments. We can't see them as a whole. When we look at a tree, we don't see treeness. And as you said, trees, uh, forest farms, it's got work to do. It's engaged. And each tree in there is a member of the family. Uh, What we do instead is we see leaves and what we'll do with them or how they'll, you know, like biomimicry says, go copy them. Well, that's seeing it as a thing, seeing it as roots and branches and uh, not as of a living part of a nested system. So number one principle, first principle, is work with holes. And holes, in order to do that, like with the child, so we'll stick with the child story, You have to, most of us don't see our children as a whole. We see them as uh, problems they have or what they're good at here or what they're bad at, and uh, we go around trying to fix them. Uh, Instead of seeing the uh, that child, and well, I'll give you the next term now, seeing that child as having its own essence, its own uh, creation of who it is and what it can be, it's becoming, what it aspires to. Well, we always have to see it in a value-adding process. And that adding is ING, not value-added, which people have done to a term my colleagues help create. So we have a child as a whole being who has an essence. Now that you think about it, and do do you have children, Trace and Glenn? I don't. You don't. You were a child, though. Yes, and I've helped raise children, but I okay. don't have children. Yeah. So if we see the child as a whole, we, the only way we can do that is see what the essence of their way of being is in a value-adding process. Not sitting here taking a test and getting graded or being affirmed by the, or denied and punished by their parents, but going at it as a value adding process with their essence doing its own work. The, so first principle, work with whole. Secondly, reveal essence and work from essence. Third principle, now that you can see essence, you can see their potential uniquely in the situation at this point in their life. Because potential isn't an abstraction. It is specific to a place, a person, a situation, a value-adding process. So the first three pencil principles are work with holds, understand their essence, and then help develop that potential. Now, the opposite side, Newtonian, those are all quantum. And I've got uh, quantum physicists who I cite through the book. On the Newtonian side, you start with your principle, which is not first, is fragmentation. It's the opposite of whole. You chop it up, put it in pieces. The opposite of essence is category or typology. You're one of a type or you, uh, you know, uh, I don't even, I, I try and keep forgetting all the terms, but, you know, they have things like white, big person thinking or small person or detail versus, and, then there's um, the Enneagram, somebody destroyed this very sacred instrument in the Middle East for uh, centuries, uh, and you put it into typologies and say, be your one of these. No, that, that instrument is about transformation of each person. Then instead of moving to potential from essence, you move instead to problem so we don't, Every process we have nowadays says, start with the problem. Well, that's because you've fragmented uh, and you're now got types. And so people don't fit in the box. Mm-hmm. So if you're, you got categories and you want everybody to fit in it, 
I have so many friends who are mixed race now and say it's so much fun when they get a form and they draw a line through everything. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not, uh, you know, one of a color or one of a type or one of some some lineage people think. So we got the first three principles, right? We have a choice between see the child as a whole or see them fragmented in terms of the parts and pieces, their grades, their social skills. And that's how parents talk about their kids. And Or we can see their essence. Like my essence uh, is, and there aren't perfect words for this. You, I do this work with all my uh, CADMIR, change agent members, except them uh, reveal this essence, which was probably born with them. Uh, but to give you a hint of what it sounds like, my, I have a, a couple of aspects of my own essence, one which is disrupt certainty. Do everything you can to not have people be certain and so to throw them off course, right? And the other is uh, develop self. And I mean that even including a nation develop itself. So we have holes with essence and potential compared to fragmentation topology, categorization, and problem solving. Mm -hmm. Now, there are four more, right? If you can count, you're probably up with me. I want to keep the picture alive, though, because otherwise these become abstract. I know, because we're going to talk about uh, some of the uh, leaders, uh, leadership styles, too. Uh, no, we're not. <laughs> I, there's no such thing. Okay. Uh, I mean... So finish the finish the four principles. Finish the, okay. uh, the last four. All right. Um, if you know a child more of what distance is in his potential, now you can develop that. It's not something you are. We're born incomplete. We have to be developed to be of any use, not only to the world but to ourselves. So, uh, is fourth principle is develop potential and essence for each whole being, mm -hmm. right? So each of us needs development, and I all my membership communities are all about development, and they're everything from self out to uh, planetary processes. Now, fifth principle, uh, with our child, uh, we want them to be able to see themselves nested in something, uh, nested in place, uh, nested in family, uh, nested in probably um, some spiritualizing process or community because no, none of us are, as John Dunn said, an island to ourselves. Mm -hmm. We are all nested, and we all have a role to play in that nest, but it also has to be developed because uh, most of us do the a Newtonian view, which is flat land. Everything is the same as everything else. You get yours and get as much of it as you can because uh, it's all just stuff for your kit, right? And so if a child learns to see themselves nested in a place and in a community uh, and in a, uh, a, a worldview, then they can become someone who contributes. And if they don't, they're lost. Mm -hmm. They don't know what their meaning is, where you, you get it from context and having a role, right? The f f sixth uh, first principle, that's hard to say, sixth first principle uh, is uh, nodal, N-O-D-A-L. What we tend to do is try and set priorities, leverage things. People are always saying to me, you can't scale what you do because you have development conversations. You got to get in courses and package it. And I said, nope, that wouldn't change anything. You think scaling is what makes things change. No, it's actually changing one thing that changes everything else. And what you change that in my worldview, I don't know what yours would be, but it's capability to uh, manage self, to use critical thinking skills, and to do that in the communities of people. If I work in communities who are committed, and like I've got a few thousand members in my communities, that 2000 is changing so much so fast and none of it's about me scaling what i do i'm not that grand i need uh people who can be uh thinking for themselves 
So we've got six first principles. Let me review them so we go to the last one. So you start with a whole, not a fragment. You then go to the essence of that whole as it works in the world, not a category or a type of person and or style. There are no styles, right? right. That's categorization. And then that has potential which can be developed and understood in a context of a nested system. That gives us the possibility to see what acupuncture act can we take that moves everything. You know acupuncture? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you know the way it works is you put a needle in here and a needle here and your whole body heals. Uh-huh. Uh, and so that's a nodal intervention. Now, what you have to have to hold all that together is a field, an energy field. And that's a weird term, except Einstein, this bright man, said everything is energy. Matter is the only thing that's slowed down enough that our undeveloped, limited senses can pick it up. But if you learn to see energies, well, if you go into a um, a party and you're late, you can feel that there's a field there. You can feel there's a field of joy or a field of, there are some people who are really upset and you know, something's going on. You don't know the content. Uh, you go to a baseball game and you can feel a field of energy. So learning how to develop and build or recreate, we don't build them. They're there. We regenerate fields. It's the seventh principle. And my grandfather, his major work with me was walking through woods and stream and teaching me to, to engage with energies. Uh, the other end of that one is um, uh, transactional. If we don't do that, we work with the energies, we become transactional. So seven that's, first principles. That's great. And I just dumped a whole lot on you, Trace, you know, but I, I think you could see like, the, the, the parallels uh, of why, of, of, of exactly what she, the, the way that Carol uh, speaks to these exact same things it's like the development and the movement and the ch- you know the mm-hmm. at- catalyst change I'd, I'd love to see how that you react to this uh, yeah this- me too <laughs> well when you were talking it reminded me of um something that one of our one of the podcast founders jason snyder uh tweeted and i'm gonna mangle it but essentially he was pondering how amazing it is that a seed right a tree seed has all of the requirements it yeah. needs to terraform its environment to what it can survive. It, everything it needs is right there in that little seed. And it kind of, you know, it, it, it I, that's what it, my mind was going to immediately when you're talking about it, is that like a child is born into this world as a whole being. And now it's our job to, to do our best to shepherd what that being is into the matrix that they're born into just as a seed falls where it lands right it lands where it lands and now it must either thrive where it is or not thrive or 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 grow into whatever it can be um and i just find that to be enormously um so can i disagree with you sure absolutely uh i don't think the seed or the baby uh the um fetus have everything they need. They are in a nested system. Sure. And without the healthy matrix, they have nothing to draw on. The key is we don't get to tell it. We don't get to tell the seed what it does or the fetus or the <laughs> a sperm and egg coming together. But they are together what creates the outcome. But each cell, I mean, the reason I talk about self-determining is because if we don't, we assume our job is to do it the way it should be. Uh, the matrix doesn't decide, the forest doesn't decide, but together they entangle mm-hmm. and create something. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I like the way you remind us that if you can, if you can find yourself in a transactional activity, you can actually switch it to the, uh, 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 the other principle. The field, the energy field. Reality. You could move to the reality of the situation and maybe make a better decision. Yeah. Probably if if someone's also working on capability to do all that. In the case of humans, we're so poorly developed. We want to change the field and we don't know how. And 
Uh, what I've done for 47 years with my work is teach organizations how to make all that change in a way that's actually pretty fast. And the good news is, because they're in business, uh, my clients grow about 35 to 65% in revenue per year. Mm. Would you like to have a business like that? <laughs> and you reduce your footprint on the planet and our resources by, by how you do that. Mm. So yeah, I just want people to know I'm not a pie in the sky uh, thinking people should magically do good things and the world will be good. Nope. It actually turns out this much more effective way to create change. Right. It's, it isn't a, it isn't a really hippy dippy idea to change, no. to try to work at changing where change is most effective. Right. In the field and not in the transactional relationship. So right. That, that, that translates into policy. It translates into what you even like plant, you know. Yeah. Like, in your garden so it has so many effects there's so that's why i love thinking about this oh so what principle am i working with yeah and, and when something goes wrong can i find where i've slipped into another way of thinking i've slipped back into um uh, not appreciating somebody for who they are but only for what they could do for me right you know, that's where right. the problem is it is it is it that the transaction isn't going well it's that i've got my relationship stuck in a you know in right a thinking you know and so i think that's a lot of what Doomer optimism tries to do is shift our way of seeing the world so that the path or the next thing to do becomes evidently clear, you know, like no argument, <laughs> grow, right. food, you know, or like, you know, that kind of thing, like, you know, recycle, regenerative, you know, all those things. What's, what sees is become, it becomes interesting to do. And then the nested in place needs to start to happen. And then no. to, yeah, go ahead. You know what gets in the way of that? Tell us. Ego. Yeah. Right. So we look at all you were just talking about. And we think we know the answer. <laughs> and then we project that on that this would be good for you. And then we go take over a land and colonize it and create war and throw out all the stuff they were going toward. So uh, you're absolutely right. If we are in the right state, have created the right field, all of us together can see what's needed. And you need a little development of capability and a, a few what I call frameworks, living system frameworks. So you're looking through the light, right lenses, but otherwise we're in trouble. Now, yeah. you want to talk about leadership styles. What in the world are you talking about? Regenerative roles. Oh, that's not even remotely the same thing. <laughs> I knew you, as soon as I said it, I knew, you know, but you know, that's, uh, I, I look at these, I look at these roles as leaders in my own like way of looking at them. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't do that. Okay. Uh, and the reason is that it puts you back in the Newtonian mindset of finding what the pockets are and how you become a good, good cue stick and oh. a generous worker with, uh, cue balls on the table oh. to get them in what's good for them. I don't believe there are leaders, and I think as soon as we get rid of that term and all the training for them, I convert everyone in a, I don't do anything. I build capability of people to see an alternative, uh, which is moving anyone who was in a previous leadership role, leadership position, mm -hmm. into what I call a resource, R-E hyphen. S-O-U-R-C-A. Now, I talk about that, that in this book you're yes, you do. holding up every so often. And it means to return people to themselves as the source. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean you become God over everybody. I mean, you're in charge of your own decisions, your own reaction, uh, your own development. and But you can if you love other people enough. And I love the word love, right? Because I mean caritas, the Greek word, which means the love for which there is no opposite, mm -hmm. uh, which is probably where the term unconditional love came from, but no one ever credits uh, the Greek language. And it means that kind of love, caritas, means you develop people to express their own essence. Mm -hmm. And it means 
you don't ever give them advice or mentoring or coaching because that's you projecting onto them. What you do is give them capability to trust themselves. Mm-hmm. And they they won't be able to at the very beginning. They'll have, uh, whoops, I just lost my, can you still hear me? Yes, we can. Yeah, we can okay, good. Uh, I have big ears, I guess. Um, we lose track of that our work is to grow our children to know themselves, to grow our spouses and friends and uh, life partners and neighbors. Uh, be What would it be like if every time we saw something we thought they shouldn't be doing instead of telling them, we said, uh, let's learn together about a subject. And that subject turned out indirectly, which was my last book, uh, to really give them capability to come up with a better solution, one better than you would have ever thought of. Mm-hmm. So resource is the term I use that keeps us in a quantum not Newtonian billiard model. I appreciate that. I appreciate that distinction, which is why the which is why you called them regenerative roles. Yeah. In the book, uh, uh, several of them, and uh, I'm not going to ask you to uh, do much, but I do want Trey to hear these seven uh, or the the uh, regenerative roles that you lay out. Nine of them. Nine of them. There's and uh, the and there's the the parents. The regenerative parent, the regenerative designer role, earth tender, the citizen role, the entrepreneur role, the economic shaper role, the regenerative educator role, the regenerative media content creator role, and the regenerative spirit resource role. So I wanted you to give an opportunity to uh, uh, see if any of those jumped out at you. Well, I want to tell you where they came from please, and also uh, why they're in sets of three. You read them. Most people don't. You read them in sets of three. So this came about from, again, all the work. You know, my grandfather's been dead 65, 70 years, 65 years. So even me about to be 80 years old in a couple of weeks, um, I've known about these and my grandfather described what it took to recreate a nation, uh, and, and Mohawk. He was part Mohawk uh, after diminishment. So this is appropriate to Doomer uh, optimism. Uh, the, you needed nine roles, was believed, and there were three sets of them in order to regenerate a society. And then those nine roles have to be played ongoingly, not by a person. Everyone plays all of them, probably. I played most of my, I'm a media content creator. I'm an educator at universities and corporations. I'm not a real good earth tender because I kill things. But uh, anyway, you you learn to play all nine, right. and they come in three sets. Mm-hmm. The first one are the people who are the initiators, activators. So that's why parent is there. Mm-hmm. A parent is about at the birth, whatever, as you said, however we raise children, determines the society we have. The designer creates the idea about how something will come into existence. They don't bring it into existence, you see. They design it. And earth tender is the same way. How we tend or don't tend to earth determines the the home we get to live on and all species get to live on. So those activators, you can see why if you want to rebuild a society, you need parenting, not always of children, but the management of the birthing in the matrix. Now, there are the manifestors on the other side, and I have a picture in my head to hold up the book so they can see the picture of the cover, right? So this is called the Enneagram, but not the modern popular version of it. Just please don't associate it with that. Yeah, there you go. Oh, upside down. I like that. That's very good. All right, so you have the initiators and you have the manifestors. So citizens are the one who govern, uh, or if we woke up, we could. Uh, right now, we are b- pretty passive. Entrepreneurs are the one who initiate a better economic system. Again, they could if they woke up. And I wrote, I wrote one book just for entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And then 
the the third of that triad is economic shapers. And I've written a bunch of articles about that on Medium, what a regenerative economy would look like. Uh, and the, so they manifest things in the world. Then there are the people who give conscious shocks. They bring in energy. And those are the educators, if they understood their work was building intelligence, not good test takers. Uh, so educators is one of the spirit resources which should be disruptive. I call them all the disruptors. The second disruptor is media content creator. And media, if it knew what its work was, one of my forwards is written by Tanya Mosley, who is the um, here and now media um, host on NPR radio. And Tanya is this beautiful African-American woman inside and out who I've known since she was much younger. And I still listen to all her podcasts. I don't usually talk to her about them. But she was very excited when she realized her job is to actually promote hope. Mm. And how often does media content creator give hope? That's, to tell you the truth, your word, uh, doom, doomer optimism was the hope thing that drew me to say yes, to come with you. And then the third dis disruptor role is the uh, spirit resource to be able to spiritualize the world we live in. It's so meaningless. I mean, with jobs or have no meaning, relationships have done, our uh, output often has no meaning. How do you spiritualize things? And so those are the nine worlds my grandfather taught me. And I did this as a, um, uh, what do we call it, action uh, research project. So I had 160 people go test all this and play with it and evolve it and help me have the right language and the right process. And so their stories are woven all the way through the book and their reflections. We have a half of them at least in the front of the book as testimonials to the process. So there you go. Seven first principles, the regenerative life and nine roles to help make it stay yeah. uh, happening. I, and I just, I see these roles acting out on Twitter. I see these roles acting out in the market or like in the marketplace or in, you know, and so uh, I, how, how did that land for you, uh, Trey? Well, I, I, I mean, I, I think that um, if we had the time, uh, I'd like to uh, have you uh, sit here, Carol, for the next four hours. <laughs> uh, I'm I, you basically everything every 30 seconds you've said something I'd like to interrogate for about 30 minutes uh not in a, in a negative way as in like oh man right. cracking things open inside of me uh you know as a you know I am a co-owner of a business there's only yep. four of us uh that are in the business um and we're uh you know we operate very much like a matrix right it's actually been very difficult for us to you know my take my MBA training and try and create huh. the org chart for what we are. And really it Good. is it's very <laughs> difficult because it's the four of us, right? And definitely there people have strengths that the business needs to needs to move forward in certain areas. But it's also like, you know, as a, you know, I love the idea of a resource um, because I've been really trying to, uh, this is really top of mind for me because I've been trying to rethink like yeah. metabolize the way I operate in the business um, because I've, I've found myself sort of regularly getting in the way and it's because of ego. It's because of the sense that I have to do something. Um, yeah. I'm the one who has to complete this project instead of uh, what's really resonated with me is this idea that like, oh no, everyone else on my team has their own essence and their own potential. And yeah. if I'm in the way they can't, you know, that's blocking off that node in the matrix, right? I'm, I'm in the way they can't, I need to get out of the way and let them um, mm. start to operate. Um, yeah, see, and that's, I, that's actually where I wanted you, where the question really is, is like, could you kind of speak more on that? Yeah. You know, as yeah. someone who's trying to transition from a leader, a leader to a resource, someone who is going to help, uh, channel the energy that goes through a business right um how how you know what are some practical steps you know obviously so i, I don't get i don't get practical steps and let me tell you <laughs> why 
uh, then I'm being the cue ball, or excuse me, yep. the cue stick, and putting you in your pocket. And uh, but uh, first, I want to tell you, you get a copy of the, the regenerative business book number three. Mm-hmm. It's full of stories about how I built it and and what the phases are you go through. Generally, I'm going to tell you at a very high level that you quit thinking about. Uh, what you do and don't get out of the way get into a developmental process with everyone i when i go into a company i meet with them uh, uh at least uh three or four days a week and sometimes five a month in learning to think differently i don't inside of the, any of that tell you where the pockets are on the ball table but you begin to see them you begin to create your own together and if you got out of the way, you pulled a major energy source for the co-creative process, for the entanglement process. You want all of you learning a new way to think again. Uh, I'm about to do, well, I just did a, an Australian workshop yesterday, and I gave them a set of principles uh, and premises for how you run a business. And basically, number one was, and that's what we're going to get to today, move everything from being externally determined to intrinsically determined. You don't have any competencies on your list that everybody has to be. You don't have any uh, rules or hierarchy. I'm so glad you can't graph it. That's wonderful. Uh, But knowing everyone having their role, which they choose, you you do tie everyone, I guess, to number two. You stop managing people from outside and teach them to manage from inside. Number two, you connect everyone to the stakeholders. That's book number one. Uh, connect all people to the stakeholders and the community, the customers, the suppliers, and you grow their lives. And the, with all of you growing all their lives, you all grow. And then it'll tell you more in there than I can do very well in a short time about how to rethink, reimagine, re-inspire. I can't remember what all your reads were. Rethink. Yeah. Uh-huh. There's a start. Yeah. It starts That's beautiful. Here. Yeah. Well, we're um, cl- coming close yeah. to the end of the hour, um, but I wanted to give you a chance, uh, Carol, um, to just kind of any last words, any kind of parting bits of wisdom um, that you'd like to pass on to the Doomer optimists out there? Well, I don't have any illusion that I have something you don't already know inside. What I'm good at is giving you language for it, a framework to be able to see it, and stories to give you hope that it's possible. Uh, If you'd like more of that, I have a website, carolsanford.com. It's all about me. Uh, And uh, you can there find uh, all my books, all my, I run a podcast, Business Second Opinion, where I critique Harvard Business Review and its ilk and give you a better alternative to any article they publish. So there's a lot of stuff. Uh, most of it's free or cheap. Uh, I do have a couple of communities people join and people have been with me for decades because I never, ever once do the same thing twice. I have no PowerPoint I've ever done twice, no paper, no handout. You keep growing and learning, and I hope that for all of you. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Carol, for joining us today. Thank you, Glenn. You did a tremendous job for your first yeah. time hosting. Um, we'll definitely, <laughs> y'all are, are both welcome back. I think there's probably lots more we could discuss, Carol. Um, I definitely want to read the regenerative business and then maybe I can, I can bring you back and we can talk about the book a little more in depth. Yes. yes. <laughs> Glenn got what he wanted. I think. Thank you. I'm All glad right. to be a part of that. Thank you so much, Carol. Everyone All have right. a great rest of the evening. Have a good day.